Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crip, the podcast of Kickstarter, the crowdfunding website. Each week, I interview real people with honest dreams. Today is Monday, June 3rd, 2013. On this day in history, in 1965, Major Edward H. White II opened the hatch of the Gemini 4 and stepped out of the capsule, becoming the first American astronaut to walk in space. Dude, well done. Up first is Sony, an amazing singer-songwriter from Baltimore, Maryland. I have the distinct pleasure and privilege to debut her newest song, Love Out Loud. Let's give a listen. Say good morning to your mom and pop like you may never see them again. See them as the victims of their broken hearts. No, you're not so different. And you cry on the What is this show, DJ Grandpa's Crib, without a musical guest? You know, I think that's true. What is it? But <laughs> this week we have Sonia. And, uh, you know, like I said, we're all things music some of the time. DJ Grandpa's like the world's biggest music fan. So this week we have Sonia. And she's out of Baltimore, Maryland. She's an independent artist. I mean, she recorded her latest album in Nashville. I love Nashville. Someday I have to go back. But anyway, <laughs> I'd like to say welcome to the show, Sonia. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Very cool. Right. Very cool now, how would you describe your style of music? Well, um, schizophrenic. I'm a songwriter. I've been writing songs since I was like 14, just kind of hunched over my guitar doing songs and, and really just kind of reflecting the world around me. I didn't really train academically with music. You know, um, it really depends on what I'm feeling, you know. Um, sometimes I think it comes out more country. Sometimes it comes out more blues. Sometimes it just it just depends on the groove. You know you artists are the hardest people to pin down on this show. Every time <laughs> I ask that question, I'm not this, I'm not that, I, I'm this, I'm so many things. <laughs> One size fits all. <laughs> yeah, you know, infinite diversity or something. You yeah, know. I guess it is. You know, but it is. It's like circles. We are circles, you know. So um, we're just expanding and contracting. So I suppose that we just move through the different sounds, right? We're playing a C chord or with a symphony, you know, hitting all the strings behind us or, you know, the after effect of, of hitting a snare and the, and the C note coming out, you know? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's all around. Yeah, I, I don't know what you said right there, but I'll agree with it, but I don't know what you just said. <laughs> now, I saw the video and I hadn't pushed play or anything on your page, and then when I clicked it, you know, I just saw all this enthusiasm. So it was like the number one thing about you that that drew me to you. So I wanted to say congratulations just to have so much positivity in one place. It, it was very impressive. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you know, that's how we, that, that, that seems like a good way to play it. You know, I mean, it feels right. And um, just living into that just feels right. I mean, all my heroes do, Louis Armstrong, Stevie Wonder, you know, all the guys that you just keep going back to, like no matter what, what's trending, it doesn't matter. You always go back to that. And and uh, you just, uh, just, I love it. You know, just gets you, gets you, gets you through it. I'm not going to ask you, are you a dreamer or a pragmatist? Because I guess I already know the answer to that. Uh, <laughs> you know, Sonia means um, dream in Portuguese. Look at that. You, you have an answer for every question. I'm doomed. There's no way around this. <laughs> now, what's most important to you as an artist? Because I know you take your profession very seriously. At the end of the day, you know, like when... I'm not here anymore. What's going to be left are these, you know, these conversations, you and me, and in the virtual reality and the space of the internet, you know, what will be left are pieces of my music on pieces of plastic <laughs> that'll be around for a long time. And I just want to leave a nice mark, you know. I just want to leave something that was true and something that represented this human experience as best as I can do it. That's it. And you're on the program today because... You have a campaign going on on Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, you're doing very well. How has the Kickstarter experience been for you? How has the community been treating you? 
I'm like very surprised. I, um, in fact, we were talking about the the tour thing too. We had two places for that for people who wanted to go on tour, and and, and also I'm going to do like a personally signed design guitar for them too as one of the rewards, which was pretty pricey reward actually. And two other people did it, so I'm wowed out by it. They'll, they're going to come on tour with us. Don't know where, but we'll see. I love it. It's actually connected me with people who I knew, gosh, I knew like 25 years ago and, and 28 years ago. I was like, oh my God, you know, and I'll see their name written. Like I knew them by a nickname, but their name will come up. And I'm like, isn't that? So it, it's really brought me back to some really cool people and some many people that I, I really don't know who they are. And I'm, I'm interested now more so because they were just names and now they're like, I feel like way more connected to them. So the connections just it's really cool it's, it's good and it's kicking my butt too to just like you know to pay attention more to my people <laughs> no I got you I understand that Would you like to tell me about the new album, the title, the proposed date, any information that I could have? I mean, we yes, should get yes. down to business. Yes, yes. The album is called Broken Film, and it's coming out on Tuesday, September 17th. And uh, we released one song on it already called The Banker. So, uh, Banker is um, just basically about how anybody who is dealing with any kind of currency around the world got ripped off by large investment banks and we in America and I think other countries as well have paid our taxes and, and, and paid them back and they've tripled and quadrupled our credit rates even as we scrape along and do everything we can you know they're being bailed out and we're paying twice you know twice for it so it's a story basically of taking one person's life and seeing it through the economic crisis. Right. I guess the most important, the bottom line thing about it is that the banker is about, it's not an unapproachable wall. It's like, it's not these ivory towers. It's particular people. They're very specific people who are responsible for really ripping off most of the planet. And I think that they should be accountable for some very evil doings. And they haven't been yet. It hasn't been addressed. It's been overlooked, and I think it shouldn't be. As soon as the whole Great Depression, Great Recession, or whatever you want to call it, started, I had a conversation with my wife, and I said, you know, no one's really talking about this, but in essence, we bankrupt the entire world, and nobody is really going to address it like that. But that's what happened in essence. Yes. I also read that you have some sort of Army 2012 Humanitarian Award. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, last year at a concert um, in Machenbach, Germany, four representatives from the U.S. military, I believe three were from the Army and one was from the U.S. Air Force, came up to me. Just like they weren't in uniform, I didn't know they were military. And they live at Rammstein, which is this huge base over in Germany. Right. And that's where they were stationed. And they just came up to me after the concert and presented me with this coin. It's beautiful. It's brass and it's, you know, like black ink and brass. And they said, this is for your humanitarian songs. And I was like, wow. I was like, I stood up for my country. That's a solid bet. And I'll stand up for freedom every chance I get. Because so much, so many, like I'm, I'm totally not, I'm totally about the person. I mean, I think the thing you got to do is do what it is you're destined to do. You know that in your heart and that's the thing to follow. And for me, you know, I dream of, of a world that never has to have any kind of fear between people because we all want to respect the human experience, whatever that is, whatever the, that way of life is, just nurture that. And, you know, you might not choose to do that, but you can at least respect it and give people that respect. So, and a hero of mine is Phil Oaks. I, I was very, he was a very great protest singer, but I was very surprised and, 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 and 
I was just really wowed out by it. It was, it was great. It was really what an honor. I say what an honor to speak with you today. I mean, dude, your, your personality shines through. And um, I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity for this interview. And if you get a chance, send us a, send us a picture of that coin or you in the coin. And we'll put it on our website. And we'll also put links to your Kickstarter program on our website to help promote your campaign while it's going on and your new album thank you for coming on the show and for anyone who's listening go to kickstarter.com and type in Sonia or try disappear fear and it'll come up and if you can't find it there you'll like I said like I always say you'll find links at djgrandpa.com Sonia it's been a pleasure thanks for coming on the show thank you very much it's been great to be here She sat down in the corner She could still see the door She said, Daddy, I gotta tell you Something I've never said before He said, shh Hello, my name is Elvis Khalilovich and I am the founder of Undo. And these are the Undo pinhole cameras. You come to Kickstarter with these cameras. Undo. You know, Control Z. All of that. The logo. Yeah. And yeah. you've achieved several times minimum funding that you asked for, man. How does that feel? It feels really great. I never anticipated such a response from anywhere. I thought that, you know, we'll maybe get one and a half funding in all 30 days but then all of a sudden some websites found us and it just took off and i haven't slept since <laughs> what, is, <laughs> what is this kickstarter people not sleeping why aren't you sleeping now you're successful not yet not yet i'm answering to every possible question that can oh. arrive from you know seven billion of people around the world and everybody has something to ask and i try to keep this Kickstarter program as personal as possible. So it takes a lot of my time just to answer to every single individual as best as I can. Well, is it worth it so far? Yeah, it's been worth it, really. Uh, I, like I said, I've tried many projects before. Now I'm getting calls from all over the place wanting people to cooperate and such. So you're like a countrywide celebrity now, Slovenia. I don't think about celebrity, but... Uh, I live in a town with 35,000 people where everybody knows everybody. So uh, we have this crisis. And when they found out that I raised on Kickstarter $50,000, it was like somebody won the lottery. You know, like uh, they think that I have provided myself for the rest of my life. And everybody wants to pitch in on the story and see how did a young guy get to acquire all that money even though the 50 grand are not 50 grand you have to deduct all the things so you end up with a bit less so everybody wants a piece of you now that's basically it <laughs> yeah more or less but i'm happy to provide especially young people that call me for advice they want to get on kickstarters they uh, they have they have cool ideas but didn't really know how to get on so with my friend nico klanschek the guy that's actually standing behind me uh, the guy that made the whole Kickstarter project possible, we we're kind of uh, trying to help more and more and more young people to get their products out there because Slovenia really has a bad time right now. So the rest of the world seems to be doing okay. People are having hard times, man, not just in Slovenia, but yeah. but you haven't exactly told me what the crisis is. Yeah, we have some corrupt politics and uh, actually corrupt complete systems from the judicial system to the cops to the parliament so it's pretty much really bad so you're talking about revolution then. yeah we had a small revolution coming in the winter time but it was so cold that people just <laughs> after after two weeks they just gave up because it was minus 15 degrees and people were freezing their butts off so and now it's summer and everybody's happy because uh, you know there's going to be vacation soon and going to the ocean, I mean, to the sea, to swim and such. So everybody tends to forget those things. You and your Kickstarter backer guy, um, you guys didn't plan that one, right? No, we didn't. We were working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, dude, I checked out your cameras. 
How many different types of cameras do you have for Kickstarter? On Kickstarter, there are six different cameras. I decided on this on these numbers and on these models. There are two models which are really basic in terms of operation and usage of film. They use the regular 135 millimeter film that we are all accustomed to. There are two cameras that use 120 millimeter film, which is roll film, and it has a bit higher uh, image quality because the film is bigger. Yeah, and there are two cameras which are quite exclusive, almost for people who have already been into photography a long time and know a thing or two what they're doing. What brought you to wooden cameras, you know, putting those together? Uh, I used to make cameras when I went to, to college. I studied industrial design at the Academy of Fine Arts and Design here in Ljubljana. So we had this subject of photography and everybody used their digital cameras to produce images and they all kind of looked the same. And I didn't want to go on that path. So I kind of stumbled across this pinhole photography phenomena. And it kind of took off from there. I'm looking at your page right now, Kickstarter, dude. I mean, Nico, dude, he's put together an incredible program as, as well as you and your, your brother Benjamin. And, dude, you guys are totally, you know, totally pulling for you. How old are you, by the way? Uh, I'm going to be 26 in four days. All right. So you feel as though you've been through, like, everything. Like, you've tried every idea and this one finally <laughs> worked out for you, right? It's a really personal thing that I did with, with these cameras because I've been making them, like I said, a long, long time. Uh, I'm a really simple person. I don't need a lot in my life, you know. I just go go with the flow. Not asking for much, really. Just keep it simple, enjoy life, and finally I get to do what I really want to do, you know. There's nobody telling you what to and what not to do, and uh, yeah, just have fun doing it. It's all part of this internet revolution, man, and this whole Kickstarter movement, man. The whole hive is behind you, man. You're yeah, 26. Thanks. You got Nico. <laughs> you got Benjamin. You, you got relatives backing you and all of that. I mean, you got me yeah. backing you because, you know, I got to get one of those cameras. And, dude, I'm going to say it one last time before I go. <laughs> what can't you do, man? I'm, I'm saying this guy, he, he even has his own DJ and his own theme song. Now, what's your sure. DJ's name? We got to give a shout out to your DJ, man. Yeah, his name is DJ Borka. Uh, he's a local, really, I, in my opinion, the best DJ here in Slovenia. And he collects and finds these old, old records from all over former Yugoslavia and uh, just makes the best tracks out of it. I'm really thankful for him because some people said, you know, that the music made the video, even though we also tried really hard to make the video correct. By the way, I really have to thank Andraž Jaric, the guy that produced the video and shot everything for free, because even though there's some money uh, turning around in Kickstarter, I'm really broke, so... <laughs> yeah. Dude. Let's get your program over and let's let all the transfers take place and all the international rates and all of that. <laughs> we get you your money and you start paying off the people that you owe. We don't want any broken legs, anything like no limbs. You know, the revolution, <laughs> the revolution has been postponed. So great. All right. You got all your thank yous out. And now I just want to say that he needs the money. Go to kickstarter.com. Type in Undo, O-N-D-U, and it will pull up a beautiful page. And on the page, it has beautiful music by DJ Borka. Dude, it was filmed by Slovenia's best filmmaker, period. And he has Nico and the whole family, the Benjamins. <laughs> and dude, he, he has a whole militia <laughs> behind him, man. The, the, the whole militia. So go to his page, check it out. And please write in the comments section that DJ Grandpa sent you. Dude, thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> Thank you, really. I was really more than glad. This is the first week of the Booster Squad, and I'd like to say welcome. The Booster Squad is a special place on DJ Grandpa's crib where we give away free stuff. This week, I have Master's Gallery, an incredible art game from Griffin and Eagle Games. 
For a detailed description of this game, visit our website, djgrandpa.com. So this is how it works. On each installment of the Booster Squad, DJ Grandpa will ask a trivia question, and somewhere in the podcast is the answer. Once you have the answer, post it on our Facebook page. The first person to post the correct answer wins the game. Now this week's question is... What is DJ Grandpa's favorite hairstyle? Now, you'll find the answer somewhere in this episode. Unfortunately, due to the high cost of international postage, this contest is only open to U.S. listeners. Sorry about that, Dick. Inspired by fireflies and aquatic bioluminescence, our team of Stanford-trained PhDs Carl Taylor and Omni Drury are using off-the-shelf methods to create real glowing plants in a do-it-yourself bio lab in California. Hello, how are you, so Anthony? Cool. Well, I've never done a podcast before, so this will be fun. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, man. I got all sorts of stuff planned for you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'm a little bit scared. <laughs> what if we use trees to light our streets instead of electric street lamps? Imagination and innovation are the forces that have advanced our civilization throughout history. You know, we've been working on this for eight our months and, you know, when you press that launch button, you just don't know, you know, what's going to happen. So it's, it's good that we've got some enthusiasm from people. That is fantastic. You know, my, my 16-year-old daughter, all she was, she was like, wow. <laughs> you know, she listened to your video. She talked to me about it earlier. She said, what about those glowing plant guys? You're going to talk to them or what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was like, I, I got to have that plant. I was like, okay, okay, okay. So anyway, I have to back your project now. She told me I had to back it and all that, you know. We'll get her a plant then, especially. You have several glowing green thumbs in my household. Cool. They, yeah, they're very happy. This is cutting edge technology, right? Doing it in the way that we're doing it is new. But, you know, this stuff's been going on for 30-odd years, actually. So there's there's a long history of people doing this in the research lab. What's right. changed recently is that the price and the availability to do this has dropped dramatically. So I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the cost of sequencing DNA is falling seven times faster than Moore's law, which is a pretty fast rate. And the cost of synthesizing DNA, actually printing the DNA, is falling three times faster than Moore's law. So, you know, people have been doing this in, in research labs for a number of years, you know, as recently as 2010. Some Researchers at the State University of New York actually right. you know, put nearly all of the genes that we're looking at into tobacco plants. But mm. what's different is that the costs have now dropped dramatically. And it means that it's fallen in the realms of something that we can do you know, on Kickstarter. You know, before, you would have needed millions of dollars to do, to do something like this. Right. Um, and, and there wasn't the, the research grants to do that. So the really big change is that. And, and these costs are continuing to fall. And, and what we really hope to achieve with this project is to educate people about, you know, the potential of technology, but also to inspire people to look at this and say, wow, you know, look what's possible. How can I get involved? You know, what cool projects can I come up with? Now, I didn't hear one thing. You said it was dropping faster than the price of what? Than Moore's Law. So Moore's Law was invented by one of the founders of Intel, I believe. And right. he basically learned that the price performance of computer chips roughly doubled every 18 months. So what that meant is that you could either get twice the performance for the same price, or you could get the same performance for half the price. Gotcha. And that's every 18 months. And what we're seeing with DNA sequencing in particular is that it's really doing it seven times faster. Wow. You know, the cost of sequencing the first human genome in 2001 was $3 billion. Wow. And now there's companies doing it, I don't know what the latest is, but probably around $3,000. Now, are there potentially any little plant shop of horror stories? Like, you know, everybody's talking um, either anti Monsanto or GMO and, you know, they're afraid of this or afraid. Any monster stories possible with this? I really don't think so. You know, we're working with a very safe little plant that makes very small little flowers. We're putting safe genes into it. We're not trying to do the Monsanto thing where we, we put, you know, a herbicide resistant into the plant and then we own the herbicide and then it forces the farmers to buy our plant. And 
Monsanto's done some pretty aggressive business tactics. You know, backers get the seeds. The seeds are going to be fertile. If they grow them correctly, you know, you'll be able to have little baby glowing plants that will then grow up again and again. And if you, if you oh, keep looking cool. after them, you'll be able to have, you know, over time an infinite because each time you get more seeds and you can grow them. You said during the video that this project is assembled. Why do you believe that? You know, back to this, this what I was talking about at the beginning, this really big change that we see coming. You know, we think a little bit of this analogy with the development of computing. So up until about 1978, computing was really dominated by big research institutions and big companies that had right. the budgets to create computers. And that meant that they were very exclusive and you needed to have all the right connections and the right access. And then you know, coming out of this thing called the Homebrew Computer Club in Silicon Valley, you know, Steve Jobs and Wozniak, they created this Apple, you know, and we had the birth of the PC. And we don't know when, but we think sometime in the next few years, there's going to be a similar awakening when people realize that the technology to do this is no longer needs to be restricted to big institutions and, and wealthy companies. And that, you know, if you're smart and you, you know, you're driven, a small team can go to a, a community by a lab space. You know, an example is, is Genspace in New York or Biocurious in Sunnyvale. And, and these are popping up all over the place. They can go to one of these labs and they can create their own. And so what we wanted to do with this, with the plant is really create a symbol that can inspire people to say, you know, that's something I'd like to get involved with. I don't know what people are going to create in the coming years, but the history of innovation shows that the more you can open access to tools, the more creative and imaginative people are. And, and, and we get things come that, you know, benefit everybody. So you really think that we could actually light our way in this society with these types of plants? I can't predict when it would happen. You know, one of the iGEM teams I was talking about, the University of Cambridge in England, Yes, they did some analysis and they estimated that it's a large oak tree to replace a streetlight would use only 0.02% of the light that it, energy that it absorbs during the day. It would need only 0.02% of that to be converted into light at night in order to create as much as one street lamp. And that seems to me a realistic target that we can right. aim for. Um, it, you know, it will still have plenty of energy for the rest of its, its uses. Now, I was really intrigued when you or one of your scientists in the video said, you know, we, we had the schematics or whatever, the, the blueprints drawn up for such and such a gene, and we sent it off and it, and it was shipped to us. How, how do you get genes shipped to you? I mean, it just seems like you can have anything shipped to you these days. I mean, that's amazing. When I learned this, this was the thing that made me go, I have to be part of this. You know, I met Omri at Singularity University a couple of years ago, and he was just telling me, he's like, he was telling me about his software, genome compiler software, and he's, he's saying, you know, we've got the software and you, you can design the gene on the software, and then you press print. Literally, there's a print button on it, just like you're printing to, to your laser printer. Right. It emails the file you've created. You know, you can choose to print with this company and they're this price and they take this long. Or you can choose to print with this company and they're this price. And maybe they're a bit cheaper, but they take a bit longer. Um, the cheapest moment is in, is in China. You press print. Choose which company you want to go with. You get your credit card out. You pay the bill. Not cheap. That's the catch at the moment. But the prices are coming down. And then, you know, somewhere between... Two and six weeks later, they will FedEx you a vial with the DNA in it. Tell me how this idea started. How did it start? Omri, my partner, was the guy who came up with this first. And I, I, don't, I don't know where he got the first inspiration, but I do know that he was demoing his software at a conference called Solferax, which is a, a conference run by Google to look at, you know, big uses of technology and how these can potentially, you know, solve the, solve the world. And during his talk, as an example, he, he had a, an oak tree image and he said, you know, we have an oak tree and we'll just click and drag the genes from a firefly onto this oak tree and make it glow. And he just had this, this sort of visual mock-up. I guess this was probably about a year ago, maybe a little mm -hmm. more. The video for that is online. And, you know, at the conference, everyone just got so excited with this one idea that he really, you know, started to be interested in it. And then his bosses at his company told him to focus on his company and, you know, not get distracted by this project. But, you know, he really, he was really enthusiastic about it. So, you know, he starts going around telling everyone he knows, I want to make a glowing plant, you know, and, you know, and he's, he looked at the research and he found out it's possible. And he just started going around telling everyone. And, you know, I, I know Nomri for a year and we met up at the alumni reception of Singularity University last year and we were just having some lunch. 
sitting outside and he starts telling me how he wants to make a glowing plant. And I, you know, I wanted to do something in synthetic biology and I just thought that that was a really, you know, fun, cool idea. And, you know, a great way of getting people involved. So I said, let me look at this, let me help you out. And now we're finally making it happen and it's very exciting. To learn more about Anthony's project, go to kickstarter.com and type in glowing plants. Quiet boy with the pretty eyes Don't you forget me My defenses rise like gate high I will try not to Lindsay Rakers, Lindsay Rakers Band, uh, Atlanta, you guys have recorded three albums, you're working on the fourth. I see that you've been out of the country recently, is it? Have you been in Africa or something, touring, That's singing? correct. I was in Nigeria for work. Well, what do you do? You know, day job. I work in public health, and we fight diseases of poverty in collaboration with government in Africa and Latin America. Wow, so it's like you're a do-gooder or something like that. I like to think so. <laughs> no, that's not bad. That's not bad. And this is the first time you've come to Kickstarter, so how do you like the whole crowdfunding experience? Oh, I think it's really cool. I, I love the concept. I love the idea of the artist giving back when the community contributes and having like a direct reward system with that. Right. And I've contributed to a few projects that have been successful, and that feels good. Okay, now I see your reward tier on the side of the page. And now, how much is it going to cost somebody to get you to make dinner and all of that stuff? And, you know, you're supposedly <laughs> a good cook and all of that. You know, you're talking about it. So I, how do you put up and, and they get to test the evidence that you actually know how to cook? Now, if somebody puts up $500, I will cook dinner for that person and three of their friends. The caveat is that this has to be in the Atlanta area. Now, if somebody were willing to front the money for me and my uh, colleague to fly and cook dinner and play for them, now I would do that in any city. But, uh, you know, obviously we can't put in more money than we're getting out of the effort. So it has to stay local. Now, did you go to law school or something? Because you're using words like caveat and, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> I did not. No, I went to school for advertising. <laughs> okay. Just checking. Just checking. Kickstarter, you're talking about funding your fourth album, and it's special, and it's different, you know, every artist says that, but you have this opportunity to record with my favorite band, one of the members of my favorite band. Oh, really? Sugarland is my, I didn't... yes, they're my favorite group, so. No kidding. Yes. Very cool. Now, my favorite solo guy is, is Jason Aldean, but my favorite group is Sugarland. Yeah, two of the members are involved with the actual album, playing on the album, and uh, the guitar player slash music director is producing the album. Okay. This is uh, Scott Patton, the guitar player and music director for the band. And the drummer, Travis, actually laid down the drum track for the album. Got a little Sugarland love on this album. Now, how would you describe your own music? A little bit of folk rock with some country influence and some, like, a little bit of indie. But, yeah, I'd say, like, pop, folk rock. I know by now I should have, like, a solid sort of, what do they call it, sound bite for... Well, you should have an elevator pitch. You should have that 10 seconds when someone says, Lindsay, what type of music do you play? You should be like, boom, we do this, that, and the third, and everybody would be like, oh, that's cool. I need to ask somebody else to write that pitch for me, because every time I try, it's like I have no objectivity about it at all. Well, that's Maybe fair. Maybe you can do <laughs> I could do that. But that's fair, because, <laughs> see, I run into the problem. I interview so many musicians, and, and, and you know, 
Some people are cool with it, but other people, they're like, well, we're not this, we're not that, we're really special, we're so unique, we so that. and then after a while, you're like, I don't care. That's because of lack of objectivity. Everybody's unique and everybody's classifiable to some degree, you know? Right. It's just people, people don't want to classify themselves, or they just, like me, are incapable of doing it because, you know, it's like you put your hand directly in front of your face, you right. can't really describe it very well. That's sort of how I feel about my music. It's right in front of my face, therefore I can't see it clearly. Well, you need to get those Sugarland guys to write it down on a piece of paper, and you keep it in your pocket or in your purse. <laughs> Good idea. Now, why is this new album? You're kind of promoting it on your Kickstarter video. Is like it's just such a departure from uh, what you normally do. So, why is that? Well, I would say for the first time, I feel like I've written some songs that might have mass appeal. And also, I feel like my songwriting has grown in the last like year or two. I've gone through some personal stuff that was pretty intense. And also, I just think I've been going at this for a while, so I'm, I'm getting better at it. I think I have a fairly realistic view of my music, and, and this is the first time I'm like, oh, I think I could hear that on the radio. Well, Lindsay Rakers, you and your band... You and your new producers, newfound friends. I wish you guys the best. And for anyone who is interested in music, likes country music, likes the kind of folksy type of music that Lindsay is into, that Lindsay creates, go to kickstarter.com and type in Lindsay Rakers, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-R-A-K-E-R-S. And it'll pull up their page. It'll pull up her page. And she has video in it. It has chickens and all of that sort of stuff. <laughs> and you can contribute. Lindsay, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Too much love for 15 and he moved to the beach I cry like my eyes on the ocean Up next, Dimitri, one of the creators of the Light Pack, an open source, content-driven lighting system. I don't know what that means, but he's going to tell us about the ups and downs of his Kickstarter campaign. Dimitri, I'd like to congratulate you and your company and your partners at Wooden Shark for having a successful Kickstarter campaign. You're well over minimum funding, and I fell in love with your gadget as soon as I saw it, the light pack. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks so much. Tell me about the light pack. Actually, I don't think that, you know, the light pack is uh, invention of the century. It's uh, either or not the big invention at all. It's just an open source hardware project we did as a first project of our collaborative team. At this stage, is it is more geeky product than, uh, let's say, consumer-ready. Right. Why I'm saying so? Because it's just you need to, to have a like, computer standing next to your television and you need to do a lot of work with your hand, like attaching uh, LEDs on your TV back panel and, and so on and so on. You're telling me about the light pack, how, you know, you believe it's not like the gadget of the century or anything like that. And it's, you know, it's basically a bunch of lights and all that. But I saw your invention from the first day on Kickstarter and I sent you a note. And then, I mean, as soon as I saw it, it blew up. So, I mean, the community in Kickstarter is totally enthused about this invention. Well, you know, gadget. Yeah, because I, I think uh, that's uh, just the uh, right community for this product. Because Kickstarter is not typical consumers you can observe around you. It's a geeky community of uh, people who like to do something with their hands. <laughs> You're funny, man. You keep underplaying it. But I watched your video, man. It was like Back to the Future. I mean, it totally rocks. As soon as I... I'm, I'm promoting the project more than you are. Come on, give me something. 
you know, actually, I'm always dreaming about the future. And definitely, if you want to ask me about what this product should like, uh, I, I'll say that this should be a single box with, a, let's say, at least HDMI pass-through. So that, like, your grandma can set up it, like, within five minutes. <laughs> so, current uh, version of Lightpack is a first step to grandma-ready product. <laughs> <laughs> grandma. You are apparently not the PR director for this company. That's what I'm starting to believe. But I do like the part about the grandma. That Now, that's totally a, a great sales pitch. That's the way, actually, I like to invent the product because uh, from the past, I did a lot of small inventions in different areas and always thinking about, not 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 uh, from technology point of view, but from the user experience. So the product should work without any manuals. And uh, Did you invent this product? Uh, it's collaborative uh, because... I don't like the word invention in terms of this project because we were inspired by Philips Ambulite and uh, we just want to make it available for everyone who want to use it with the computers, displays or any other television sets. No, I understand. You took several technologies that were readily available and you put it all together into this product. Yes, so that's it. Okay, the light pack. It's remote controllable. Can you control it from your phone, your iPad, things of that nature? You can control it from your phone, but the light pack should be connected to some, let's say, host. It could be a computer, laptop. It could be a Raspberry Pi. It's a small computing platform for $35. US dollars. It could be also any kind of Linux or Android-based device as well. Okay, the predictable question that I ask everybody, how is the Kickstarter community treating you guys? There are a lot of questions. First of all, like starting from day one, we realized that there are too many people with, uh, let's say, two or three or four displays connected to their computers. So they were asking about, could we connect uh, two or three light packs to one computer? And actually, this was our fail that uh, not everyone understood how it works. So many people just canceled their pledges just because they don't understand that they need a computer next to their television. This was our fail because we tried to write everything about the product, but seems like not everybody uh, reads the text and people were pledging the money. Just after they like saw 10 seconds of our video without reading the text below. And <laughs> this was funny. So I spent several days just by answering private mails and explaining people how it works. And they cannot use the light pack just with the television and there is nothing connected to it. That's why you're trying to slow down my enthusiasm, because I was just like those people who contacted you, because I didn't read a note. I just pushed the <laughs> button on the video, and I was like, oh, my God, I got to be part of this. So I understand. So I'm one of those troublesome people who canceled their orders. I see what you're saying now. That's why you're all rational now. That's why you're all sober. I understand that, man. But I'm still saying you shouldn't have done such a good job on your video, because as soon as I pushed play, the video totally rocked. And I had to have one. That's how I felt. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. So um, you should always over-deliver over your promises. And pr probably we made our video too promising. <laughs> <laughs> for anyone who thinks they might be excited about this project, for anyone who pushes a button and watches a video and then doesn't read the details, <laughs> go to kickstarter.com. And type in light pack. That's one word, L-I-G-H-T-P-A-C-K. And check out the video. It's incredible. And But do it differently than the rest of us did it. Push the button and then get excited. And then go down a little further and read the details. Dimitri and your partners and Wooden Shark and all of that. Your whole consortium. Thanks for coming on the show. 
Thank you too. DJ Grandpa here. You know how you hear that once-in-a-lifetime storm or that once-in-one-hundred-years type of storm on the news or the Weather Channel? Well, this is an art project that some people are saying is like once-in-one-hundred-years type of thing going on. These two art professors have come together to bring out a device called the Nia Lucida. And it's a takeoff on a device from a hundred years ago called the, the Camera Lucidia. The Camera Lucidia. Yeah, the Camera Lucidia. This device has taken off on Kickstarter by storm. They're at 20 times their minimum funding, I believe. That's insane. So anyway, I want to welcome half of the Dream Team, Pablo Garcia. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. All right. Is your head spinning, man? Because I can barely keep up with the two of you. Uh, Yeah, we're having a little trouble ourselves. The original goal was to hopefully in a month's time get enough funding to produce 500 of our units. And we have, through popular demand, now plant 8,500 units. Uh, so, so we went from crossing our fingers that there would be 500 people who would be willing to join this little experiment in producing a vintage optical drawing aid right. for the 21st century to trying to figure out how it's possible that easily Tens of thousands of people have suddenly interest in this little device. I just backed it this morning. <laughs> Thanks so much for your support. Oh, no problem, man. But you don't want my support. You're trying to get the to cool down some, <laughs> not heat up. <laughs> well, uh, you know, we we did not. Uh, the part of the reason we went to Kickstarter is because we felt like this is not really a business for us. We have really enjoyed being kind of in the middle of the art world, teaching students, making our own art as a way of life. And this is a kind of an experiment in what happens if you take something that was common 200 years ago as a way of drawing that's mostly forgotten, bring it back to the current world in an age of computers and photography and other devices, and just kind of see what happens. You know, the Kickstarter model, you know, when you say, oh, you want it to cool down, sure, we're going to lose sleep and it's going to be a lot of work, but... Really, it's exciting because the goal is to provoke a conversation about what is it to draw with an old drawing aid in the 21st century, and the response has made it very clear to us that there is not only a desire for it, but as in the long run, it actually might even build a community of enthusiasts who will take on this message uh, long beyond the Kickstarter campaign, and we feel like we don't need it to be a business because the conversation will keep interest going maybe for another 100 years. Who even knows? Right. But Kickstarter is a business. And on your page, you're using words to try and say that you're not in this for business. You're using words instead of company or launch of a product. You're saying this is more of a right. provocation. No, it, it is funny. It, it makes a lot of sense for us. And we looked at Kickstarter a lot before to see who were doing similar things and Yes, it seems like a lot of people, you know, treat it as a way to basically crowdsource venture capital for their product, which is great. And, and, you know, we've really enjoyed some fantastic product design as well as kind of cultural events. But for us, you know, Kickstarter itself is a provocation. It's a way to ask the question, what if you remove the middleman? What if you use the power of the hyper-connected world we're in to to bring people in who might otherwise not be involved in the process of something new. So Mm. that is a very provocative notion, and plenty has been written about that with Kickstarter and other crowdsourcing ideas. So it just seemed like a natural fit for us because we would love the Neo Lucida to be a product out in the world for all time, but that is not our (laughs) core model. If that was the case, we probably would have charged double. I get it. I finally get it. That you guys are business people, but you've been, you know, you've been driven down this road. You you open the door and the wind just knocks you off your feet or knocks you guys on your butts. About 12 years ago, the artist David Hockney proposed the ideas in this book. Secret Knowledge, Rediscovering the Lost Techniques of the Old Masters. In it, Hockney presents compelling evidence that the old masters used various optical devices like the camera obscura, concave mirrors and the camera lucida 
to help create. But what about the Hockney argument? I mean, do you think the greats use these type of tools? We both do believe that Hockney's argument has a lot of merit. But I think now we both feel like that doesn't really matter. What matters now is that there is this Hockney hypothesis that the old masters used optical devices to work on their on their art. We are now providing this device which perfectly mimics the same device that they would have used in the 19th century. If tens of thousands of people get it in their hands and a large portion of those are artists who already draw and paint, they can make up their own minds about whether or not Hockney's argument has merit. The one technical glitch in delivering Hockney's message is that he talked about his experience with the camera Lucida and what it must have been like for 19th century artists to use it. And then people argue back and forth about whether or not this has merit. But 99% of the people who are in the debate have never even seen a camera Lucida, much less used one. So in a way, the provocation is also to say, you all now have the same device that Hockney is describing in this hypothesis. Make up your own minds. Well, you guys have struck a chord and you started or let's say, rekindled this conversation. But, but when, you, when you're in a college or academic setting, I mean, there are always these endless philosophical chats. And this yeah. just may be one of them. So you guys yeah. have chosen another smart move, you know, <laughs> provocation instead of businessmen and backing away from a philosophical chat. Because Yeah, well, I mean, I'd definitely be curious to know from, I mean, you're, you're more experienced <laughs> with the Kickstarter community, but uh, we didn't think it was that big of a deal to claim us ourselves as provocateurs instead of businessmen. But it does seem like it's a novel uh, move. So I'd love to know, uh, you know, from your audience, like, right. like how that is, how that is perceived just as a, like a, uh, like, oh, I see how the Kickstarters try it, but, uh, not quite like this. I mean, it's a curious conversation that we were not prepared to have until thousands of people started joining. So. I spoke with a filmmaker yesterday and, uh, uh-huh. I said, I've gone after these new Lucida creators and, they've raised so much money so fast. And he's like, well, how could they have done such and such? And I was like, dude, you got to Kickstarter's about everything novelty, weird, geek, <laughs> one of a kind, custom, handmade. I mean, all these things. And they already come out the box saying it hasn't been on the market in a hundred years. I said, why, why do you yeah. think they've been, you know, so popular? I said, that's why. And then you, you asked me the question about, provocation well kickstarter says off the bat they're a business so you you're yeah. kind of going against what they already said but then they have to give you all the support because your idea is so ingenious so i mean you know you guys have allowed me to see an insight into what you guys are doing so i wanted to say thank you very much for that you are most welcome and, and thank you for the chance to talk to uh your audience might be connected in a different way so i love the notion that it's not just as you suggested geek enthusiasts or geeks or tech or people just in our social circle. So it's nice to have like another outlet to discuss it. How can I cut this piece? You've given me so much information. (laughs) I would love to help you, but I think it's your problem. (laughs) (laughs) And you're not a businessman. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the help, DJ. In just a moment, coming up, there's iron and board sand. And I mean just that too, iron and board sand. He built this instrument out of an ironing board and plays it. Nobody else can play it but him. I need a tagline for the movie, like a one-liner, some killer, like, Um, you've never seen this before, I don't know, anything uh, like that. Yeah, you you would never see anything like it in your life. Let's see. Okay, I thought I was calling up to speak to Sam, ironing board Sam, the maestro, but... Instead, I have the filmmaker himself, the doc man himself, Tom Chaburi. Tom. Tom Chaburi, you got it. Yeah. 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 Thanks for coming on the show. I heard you in Massachusetts. You just graduated and everything. Dude, you're moving awfully fast. (laughs) Thank you, man. I appreciate that. I'm trying. Could you describe for me... In your own words, you know, Sam's music. If you go back to the 60s and 70s and look at the growth of the R&B movement, and then you listen to Sam's music, it's clearly just kind of coming right out of that deep river, you know, and and Sam's music is incredibly deep in itself. And so you listen to some of his early cuts, the 
singles that are actually kind of gaining some attention now, even from the 60s and 70s, I feel a time. I feel this kind of incredible authenticity. And I think for me, why I've, why I've spent so much time and so much effort and, and why I'm doing this Kickstarter in a lot of ways is Sam himself is an amazing person. And his music in itself speaks for itself, I, I guess I could say. Now, I watched your trailer on Kickstarter. And when I look at Ironboard Sam and yourself, you guys are jovial, joking back and forth. I believe you probably even punched <laughs> each other a couple times. Sam seems like forever young, you know? How did you meet Sam anyway? I've done a lot of work for this nonprofit called Music Maker Relief Foundation. Right. And to give it short, they basically work with artists who have fallen on hard times. And um, a lot of blues and roots musicians from the South. I've been doing video for them, you know, short films documenting and recording this music for about four and a half, five years now. And I came down a couple of summers ago to North Carolina and the guy I'm working with said, you got to go meet this guy on board, Sam. He was just rediscovered. We just recorded a acoustic record with him, and he's truly, he's maybe just one of the most well-versed musicians, well-versed, just different people that you, you could ever encounter, and you need to go meet this guy. And so I went down, and I met Sam, and he was getting evicted from a small trailer, and we just talked for a couple hours. I said, Sam, I want to do a short movie about how hard it is for you to get to a gig for musicians without a lot of resources, without a lot of support, just to get to a simple gig and, and what that involves. And Sam said, great, I want to do that. And he was just getting back on the road a little bit with kind of support of Music Maker, finding him work and with his new record. Right. And he was great with that. And we were going to kind of stage a lot of the obstacles that would happen that would occur getting to a gig. So, man, you know what? Sam needed glasses because he couldn't see anything. But, you know, you can't really just afford that. So how do you get that? You know, or Sam's car is it's really a piece of crap. How do you get to a gig when your car is going to break down? And he's 73 years old. You know, that's another aspect of it is he is 73, you know. And when I met him, as you said, this kind of jovial, this youthfulness. And I've hung out with a lot of older musicians in the last four years of my life. And I've never met anybody with just such an energy, uh, raw, young energy that Sam has. To be honest with you, after about a day of shooting, I was transformed. I, I couldn't imagine not filming him more. And I was just curious, of where does this come from? Where does this useful energy, where does this positivity really come from for Sam? This right. is a guy who doesn't have any money. You know, his family's estranged from him in a lot of ways. And he hasn't had a lot of recognition for his music. What keeps this guy going? You know, what is that? What's that deeper side? And as we started filming, all these things that we had planned, the stage for the film actually kind of just happened. You know, we staged right. this car breaking down the highway and then the car actually broke down on the highway <laughs> and, and just, we were trying to get to a gig. You know, we really were trying to get to the gig and right. I was like, oh wow, the car got totaled, the engine block cracked and we ended up finally getting there and just making it to the gig and that was kind of the beginning of our journey together. It was just kind of a week of shooting a couple of years ago and then we kept talking and, and the project kept growing over time. For me, Sam was somebody who I couldn't pin down. I could not get to the bottom of him. He had so many wild stories that seemed so maybe unbelievable, yet at the same time, they're all true. When you see me playing the hot and You gonna share a short one? Well, I mean, for example, this. Like, when I first met him, uh, Sam told me that he played with Jimi Hendrix. Right. Uh, everybody knows Jimi Hendrix's name. And, and so when you hear that, you're like, yeah, okay, you know. And then I did a lot of research, and I talked to him about the details of, of what that really was. I went back, and I saw that Sam and Jimi Hendrix, if you look up in the Encyclopedia of World Music, and you go to Nashville, like, during the, the growth of the R&B scene, in a lot of these clubs, there was a lot of just an incredible amount of live music. And two of the most innovative musicians that come out of that scene in Nashville in that time was a guy named Irony Board Sam, who invented his proto-electric keyboard, um, yeah. and another guy named Marble, a.k.a. Jimi Hendrix. And they would often play together at Club Del Morocco. And really what happened was like, you know, Jimi Hendrix and Billy Cox 
backed up Sam, you know, uh, a lot, you know, right. for about a year or so. So that for me was just like that maybe just in terms of a name that was really unbelievable, but really set me off and said, well, all these other adventures that Sam has, like, I have no reason not to believe it. I have no reason not to at least to hear them and then think about them, you know? Does that make any sense? Yeah. No, so, no, no, I understand. In other words, Sam also invented maybe one of the first electric non-action keyboards. Right. And he called it the button board. And he mounted that on an ironing board, hence the name ironing board Sam, um, he was given. So he invented his own keyboard. He played this underwater show. He, he designed a 1,200-gallon tank <laughs> that he would play underwater. And, uh, <laughs> you know, because he was trying, and this was in the 70s, and right. basically disco was coming in, and he's like, all the musicians around me are getting wiped out. Live music is just getting destroyed because disco's coming disco. in and really just yeah. taking over, you know? Big sound, one DJ. The club's going to hire one guy over a band, you know? And so Sam's like, what can I come up with? And so his kind of approach to surviving in, in the music world and becoming who he was in terms of trying to become a star, trying to become someone who's recognized and just trying to share his music, like most of all, um, his was, I have to be creative to survive. And that's what he was, you know? And so he did this underwater show and invented his own keyboard. And, and by any means necessary, he really approached the music world as a truly independent artist and as somebody who is uh, truly original. So he was like Malcolm X by any means necessary. I mean, not to yeah, not to compare, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it seemed like the best line I could I could, I could say. No, no, it's Sam still really a, it's, that. It's and still Sam, a, I'll do it in any way possible. No, no, I got you. I got you. Don't worry about yeah, it. Don't worry yeah. about it. Don't worry about it. We're not talking <laughs> politics right now. We're talking music. <laughs> well, yeah, gotcha. If you're listening to this program, if you've just heard the music in the background that Tom and I are playing, you have to be interested in this project. So I'm just going to tell you, go to kickstarter.com and type in ironing board sand. I'm telling you, you can't go wrong. And if you can't find it there, go to djgrandpa.com. Dude, we're going to have links. I even want to put up the picture of him from the Blues Magazine if I could find it. Tom, thanks for coming on the show. Well, DJ Grandpa, thank you so much for having me. Somewhere Poetry crib now. It's totally different. It's totally different. And I'm with my man Theron. You know, he's going to give us some culture. And and I really appreciate that, Theron. Welcome back to Theron's Poetry Crib. What do you have for us this week? I got one called To Wagner's Wife. Okay. I see you in every eye, and I keep asking myself why. I still can't seem to get this right. Some days you sing, some nights you walk in my dreams. I can feel your touch, but not that much. I've been repeating moments in my mind, trying to redesign, remap even. Haven't found a way, but I keep believing that someday, somehow, I will get it right with you in my right now. Then I ask myself, if you were my delusion, did I put you up high enough for my heart to bow down? Looking down, maybe I really couldn't see because I was too eager for you to feel me. Still my heart aches. My mind wants to get this right so badly. But sadly, I keep repeating the same mistakes. I have become my own redundancies. Vicious circles like spiral staircases that I climb down deep inside me. I don't know what to say about that one. That one kind of touched me, man. And, and, you know, Natalie Wood, the whole situation, all of that. I was feeling that one, man. I didn't know you went back like that. I like to think of myself as a painter. I like to play you know, with words like paint. And right. I figure if a picture is worth a thousand words, then I am a painter. Okay, you're like a renaissance man. I see that. Actually, I said it wrong. I meant to say, if a thousand words are worth a picture, then I'm a painter. Now you got me confused, but 
Check it out. It's the reverse, you know, on the... Uh, I know you reversed set. it, but I told you, I told you I was having problems. What <laughs> <laughs> you got to think about it. If, if uh, you know, they say a picture's <laughs> worth a thousand words. And I said, if a thousand words is worth a picture, then I'm a painter. It's not like I didn't hear you the first, the second, and the third time. <laughs> I'm trying to catch you up. That's about as good as you're going to get. I love the poem. That should be, that was a thousand words right there. I love the poem. I appreciate it. Theron Kennedy is a father, a teacher, a poet, an author, and the marketing director for DJ Grandpa's Crew. I'd like to thank all our guests this week. I'd also like to thank our listeners. We couldn't do it without you guys. A special thanks goes out to Trevor Williams and to my mentor, The Mumbler, for providing music for DJ Grandpa's Crib. Until next week, so say we all. And the answer to the trivia question is the Don King. <laughs> the homepage for DJ Grandpa's Crib is djgrandpa.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, DJ Grandpa's Crib, all one word. Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. Our producer is Von Rupert. The executive producer of this and all Bedrock Communications podcasts is AF Rufus.